Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware dot com slash deals that's alienware.com slash deals welcome to 500 greatest songs a podcast based on rolling stones hugely popular influential and sometimes controversial list i'm Brittany spanos and i'm rob sheffield we're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great from classics like fleetwood max dreams to the ronettes be my baby and modern day classics like the killer's mr brightside listen to rolling stones 500 greatest songs on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccans. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. We'll start in a a weird but uh, very human direction here. Who hasn't, amongst us in the audience today, felt lost at one point or another? Think about it. Washing the dishes... You're working maybe on a repetitive job or you're stuck in traffic. You've heard the same song three times. You're walking up the street, the same path you always take, and it hits you all of a sudden. What does it all mean? Why are we even here? What's the point? Is existence just like a checkmark participation grade? It's an existential... Yeah, yes, uh, yes, yeah. yes, Ben. I, yes. All of those? <laughs> okay, great. Me too. That is uh, bleak, fellas. That is bleak. <laughs> Oh, no, you haven't hit that yet? No. Oh, God, yes. Are you kidding me? I, I, I have to use my GPS when I go down the street to the store. I mean, okay, that's a different kind of loss. But absolutely, of course, I think we've all been there. Mm-hmm. And this existential crisis is one of the great unifiers, I would argue, of the human species. It draws a lot of people to structured belief systems, religions of any type. 
uh, humanitarian work, you know, secular stuff too. Even self-improvement on a small scale. Like, hey, I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to take up meditation. I might get a new hobby. Heck, I'll, I'll take that improv class. Uh, these are all answers to, you know, the, the scary questions of mortality and meaning. And there is no shortage of individuals or organizations that are more than willing to give the lost and the troubled a feeling of serenity, fulfillment, and purpose. This brings us to today's episode the winding, mysterious, and at times troubling story of something known as the Falun Gong. In English, this literal translation would be something like law, wheel, practice, but but it's a tricky thing to translate into English. So for now, we're just going to say Falun Gong. So breathe deep. Here are the facts. So Falun Gong is also known as Falun Dafa. And if you look at some of the official websites, you will see Falun Dafa a lot. Uh, it describes itself as a spiritual practice, as many as Ben just described uh, earlier. It's rooted in Buddhist tradition, and it consists of two primary components that feel pretty good. Uh, the first one is self-improvement through the study of teachings. And like many organizations, uh, Falun Gong or Falun Dafa has its own set of books and writings and teachings. And these are mainly about the qualities of the universe, the underlying stuff, the stuff that is that makes up existence, you and me and the connection to everything, uh, truth, compassion, and forbearance. If you go on their website, it says very specifically, truth, compassion, forbearance. The second component is going to be pretty, uh, I, I would say, pretty familiar to a lot of us, and that is uh, gentle exercise and meditation. By gentle exercise, we mean what is sometimes called low-impact exercise. So this is not CrossFit, push-yourself-past-your-limits stuff. This is, this is stretching. This is slow. This is meditative. Uh, this is not meant to break your bones. According to all the sources you can look at, uh, including official Falun Gong sources, it was developed by a guy named Li Hongxi. Uh, he says that he was the recipient of teachings from more than 20 masters, Buddhism and Qigong, from which Falun Gong is descended. Uh, he tested this, according to him, he tested this practice, this system out with uh, several followers, aka disciples first, and then eventually brought it public in May of 1992. So this is already, we know, this is a very new religion, even if uh, the claims about its ancient roots are true. Uh, Qigong is, we, we talked about this earlier, I think, in an episode called What is Qi, but Qigong is, is primarily composed of these, frankly, amazing breathing exercises. But but Lee added something else to the mix. He added stories in here, accounts, anecdotes, uh, a world full of fantastical things and uh, a world with hints of a forthcoming apocalypse. And his books became bestsellers. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to poison the well here, uh, but some of this path has, you know, not for nothing have outside observers said this bears some similarities with other leaders of movements like L. Ron Hubbard, who also uh, also wrote extensively. But this was accepted by the, the government of China. It was accepted by 
the Qigong bodies, right? Because there are many Qigong movements. So the Chinese National Qigong Scientific Research Association in that same time period of 1992, they also said, okay, yeah, we dig it. Falun Gong. You know what I mean? Full speed ahead. Ben, Ben, can we just really quickly hit on those two books? Yeah, totally. Uh, the first two were Xuan Falun and Falun Gong. Uh, these are kind of primers to the philosophy. Mm-hmm. Here is what we're doing based on what I learned. Here is the goal of what we're doing. You yep. know what I mean? Filled with, again, filled with stories that did not ordinarily occur in previous uh, previous traditions of this sort. Oh, yeah. And I just want to go back to your Elron Hubbard comparison here. It's interesting because in, in Elron's writings, he kind of held off on the aliens and the the stuff that went beyond some of the self-healing. He saved that. He saved he that saved business it. for when you'd paid your way in far enough. Yeah, but but in these books, it's just right there in front of you as soon as you start getting into the materials. I just I found that to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's a... I guess you would say a little more transparency in that regard, but whatever you feel about those things, we want to be very clear here. We ourselves are not Falun Gong practitioners. Uh, Although I I think all of us have done things like meditation and and mindful breathing and yoga. Uh, This, this is a different thing. And no matter how you feel about the claims that Lee makes, uh, no matter how you feel about the practices of the organization in terms of ex- exercise and philosophy, there's no arguing this. Those books were instant bestsellers, and people across the country of China loved this idea, loved this concept, and Lee started making public demonstrations of his um, of his perceived abilities, which also ties in a little bit to our episodes on faith healing and laying on of hands. Okay, so back to the timeline. In December of 1992, Li Hongzi did his very first public demonstration of his abilities uh, at, at the 1992 Oriental Health Expo in Beijing. Uh, apparently, he caused a paralyzed and wheelchair-bound man to walk uh, destroyed gall and kidney stones uh, within another individual and cured difficult, quote, difficult and complex illnesses of all kinds. So needless to say, he made quite a splash. Uh, and the director of the fair declared, he's like, you you won the fair. Uh, he declared that Falun Gong was the star cultivation system. Oh. Wow. What oh. does that even mean? Like cultivating like the stars from the from the galaxy? Mm. I took it as a best in show. Best in show, but still, that's very, I love the, the, the turn of phrase. Let's leave it there. It, it, to me, it really is like you're, you know, the brightest shining boy in the room. Well, as Ben said there, the laying on of hands episode that we did, I think everyone can hear the similarities there. And, you know, we, we weren't there in 1992. We can't tell you exactly what happened, you know, or if, if uh, there were any plants in the audience. Uh, But uh, if, if those things were true, they would be miracles. Well, I was, you know, you guys know my schedule. I was busy. I just didn't get over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but I, I heard good things. Uh, yeah, I was I was nine, I think, and uh, doing something with a Nintendo. Pretty sure. I don't think I should say where I was. But <laughs> at, at, in December of 1993, at this uh, at the 1993 Expo, uh, Lee was given two awards 
in this is, you know, the second iteration of his appearance there. Uh, he got the award for advancing boundary science and the Qigong master most acclaimed by the masses. So that's like the, and I, I am not dismissing this at all just for a, an analog or a comparison. This is a lot like saying uh, you got the uh, audience appreciation award. Yes. You know what I mean? People like you the most. So he started giving classes all over the country in the ways of this philosophy throughout uh, the early to mid-90s. And for a while, as we mentioned, this enjoyed a great deal of domestic fame as well as what appeared to be somewhere between the open support of the Chinese government to the tacit support to, at the very least, toleration of it, right? Like, they're not hurting anyone. They're not violating our... Uh, our unwritten law, don't mess with the money, let them go stretch in the park. Exactly. And in a way, it's kind of a nice little cultural, uh, at least information export, right? It's an interesting thing. It's a it's a cool little piece that we can share. And wow, we've got this, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say miracle worker, but we've got someone with essentially supernatural powers that practices in China. Cool. Enjoy. Be healthy. <laughs> All good. Yeah. Uh, this goes This goes international soon after. Like when you think about the spread of this uh, movement, you have to say it's, it's impressive. You know, a few decades later, people would call this kind of growth viral instead of exponential. Uh, yeah. By 19, 1995 or so, uh, Lee is spreading his message past the borders of China. He's lecturing in Paris and Stockholm. He's lecturing in Sydney and uh, Houston, Texas, which seemed a weird draw, but these are the facts, and uh, New York City in 1996. But while he's out speaking abroad and spending uh, less and less time in China, uh, things aren't going so well on the home front, are they? No. The, the tide was turning inside of China while he was gone, because in 1995, the organization Falun Gong left the one that it had originally joined, the Qigong Scientific Research Association, which, you know, could or could not be a big deal. But it does mean they're going independent, right? Uh, it means they're, they're gaining power in, in some way. And the Chinese government started to see them as essentially a threat. And it's really because they were growing so exponentially and so quickly. And the some of these spiritual beliefs, the religious teachings that were in those books, they were going a little bit against what would be considered traditional or at least the party line of what the party wanted its citizens to be thinking about believing in. And ultimately, they, they feared that this thing would grow so big, it would be a threat because it was independent of a lot of those internal institutions. Yeah. And you know, this doesn't come from nowhere or necessarily uninformed paranoia. Uh, there is a long history in this area of the world, going back to the dynasty days in China of the governing bodies having to actively and aggressively work against the possibility of domestic dissent. Uh, the, the, in a way, in a way, the government at the time was reacting to what they saw the precedent as the precedent set by earlier domestic unrest. What is it that you think about this religion, this movement that caused it to catch on so much? It's just very uh, 
appealing, I think, if you look on the face of it. It's extremely appealing. You don't have to work too hard. It's mostly meditative, and it seems to have a kindness on the front. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the ways <laughs> some of the ways the ideas are spread and why they seem, especially when you bring in the persecution angle that we're going to get to, why it seems like something you'd want to join to fight for. And the majority of, from what we understand, the majority of Falun Gong members are recruited by members of their biological families. So there is a furthering and a deepening of the sense of community in in this endeavor. Uh, and community, from what I understand, is a thing that people like. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> it's true. People dig it. Uh, so as as you said, the tide's turning the tide's turning against the practitioners of Falun Gong because it's seen as a threat to the status quo. We know that sometime in this, somewhere in this time period, uh, members of Falun Gong started becoming active online. They were early adopters of the internet. Uh, but it's difficult to know exactly when this occurred because like the Raytors in Neil Stevenson's Anathem, they spend a lot of time changing the past or they a, a more diplomatic way would be to say and I and I mean both the Chinese government and some factions of Falun Gong they they carefully edit and curate old material from their websites so it's tough to know some of the specifics of timelines here but they didn't take this line down they got mad and the practitioners started protesting outside of various uh, media outlets in China, that they, uh, if they felt those outlets were misrepresenting the goals of Falun Gong and the lives and aims of the practitioners, basically saying, you know, stop being evil. That's it. That that's not like on the face of it. That's that's a cool thing not to be. Yeah, don't be evil. Google once did that, um, and no <laughs> longer does. I remember those days. It's no longer their motto, right? But also, don't be evil is way different from be good. Yeah, very much I always so. thought that was a weird one. Was it like sort of like a guiding principle, sort of a reminder to themselves to like do a good job with the power that you've been, <laughs> that you've given yourselves? Uh, it's a weird one. I always thought that was very strange. So this is 1990, like we've led up to 96, right? That's when they're doing the protesting. Then the next year... As pressure is mounting from the party within China, uh, Lee, he ends up getting out of China. And where does he head? New York City. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If well, you can make wasn't, it there, he, wasn't, he, wasn't he beginning to be branded as a dissident? Already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For years yeah. before. Uh, the, yeah. What I was going to say is, you know, just picture Lee somewhere. He's been to New York before at this point, And he says, hey, kid, you can make it here. You could make it anywhere. And then he has that whole sitcom moment. Uh, yeah, he does. He does go to New York. He knows something's in the wind, I would imagine. And let's pause here. We've got one. We're waiting for the other shoe to drop. So let's let's hear from our sponsors who may not be Falun Gong today. Um, or nope. maybe it, we don't know. It's, it's probably not Falun Gong, but it is Shen Yun. Uh, uh, spoilers. We'll be back to watch the hammer fall. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Fast forward. 1999. There is a massive protest uh, against the government of China on the part of the Falun Gong. Shortly after that protest, the PRC begins a nationwide crackdown and they go ham. There's this huge propaganda push. Their aim is to eradicate the Falun Gong. How serious are they about this? Well, they make a new security agency whose entire job is to eliminate Falun Gong. It's called the 610 office. It was started in June of 1999. Uh, to, to describe some of the stuff that the government was doing against this organization, they like they were bulldozing educational tapes. You know what I mean? They were pulling 
all the stuff they could off the internet if possible. Uh, they were publicly denouncing any members. If it got to the point where, like, depending on your job, it might be dangerous for your first your employment status to uh, to be a member of Falun Gong, and then soon after, it may be dangerous for your personal uh, freedom. They also blocked. Oh, they didn't just block Falun Gong websites. They blocked websites from other places, and there were a few other countries that mentioned Falun Gong. They were like, eh, sorry, I know your blog is mainly about your backpacking travels through Southeast Asia, but you mentioned the wrong organization, so now your whole website is shut down for 1.3 billion people. Wow. So imagine you start as an exercise group, and the next thing you know, you're in a full-on information war with one of the world's most powerful countries, a country that's also becoming one of the world's leaders in this kind of asymmetrical warfare. This gets David and Goliath pretty quickly, if the story so far is true. And this is a good time to ring this up, maybe, Ben. In our research for this episode, uh, and Ben, you pointed this out, and I also noticed it, and Noel, I'm sure you did too. Really what you find on the internet, save for a few mostly objective writers, is information that is extremely pro-Falun Gong or extremely anti-Falun Gong, right? Well, even the American media for quite some time was very pro-Falun Gong, it would seem, because they sort of acted as this, like, buffer against, like, the, you know, the distrustfulness that is pretty common around, like, Chinese information control. And they sort of represented almost this, like, you know, example of the heavy-handedness of the Chinese government. Uh, in fact, there's an interview with uh, the founder of Falun Gong in Time magazine in 1999. So, I mean, in general, the American press was pretty pretty kind to them as an organization. The U.S. would enter this information war later for motivations of its own. I suspect motivations of its own, but maybe I'm <laughs> being a jerk. So back in 99, same year as that time interview, Falun Gong becomes illegal in China. However, the, uh, the horse of dissidents has left the proverbial barn. The followers are widespread. And another thing that maybe the PRC didn't count on, these followers are tremendously media savvy. Remember, I said they were earlier adopters of things like the Internet and emergent technology. So in the years since being declared a, quote, heretical organization that threatens social stability, they have dispatched thousands upon thousands of press releases, these staged live events and protests, things that are purposefully and beautifully designed to gather headlines, to get international eyes on the story. Uh, they've also kept a, uh, a, a very strong internet presence. You can check out uh, some of their official, uh, official territories online now. Uh, they also became increasingly litigious, and they would slap people with a defamation lawsuit if they published something saying, um, saying stuff that to us might even seem innocuous. You know, uh, they would still they would still try to bring the hammer down the way that the Chinese government was bringing the hammer down on them. And like we like we alluded to just a few minutes ago, Falun Gong adherents for a very long time were treated um, in, in an extraordinarily kind way by the Western press. They love this David and Goliath story. Uh, they also sometimes supported the group's uh, religious or political agendas, as you can imagine. Falun Gong becomes very 
strongly anti-Chinese government. And when it broke in the West, when the U.S. and and Europe started entering this, uh, you would see a lot of reports from politicians and journalists who were ridiculing the Chinese government. And they were saying, wow, these communist leaders are so paranoid uh, AKA they know their ideas are so bad that they're going to treat this group of quote, exercising grannies like counter terrorists. And they all had a good laugh about that, right. In the, in the news cycle of the time. And they got some facts wrong while they were doing it. They got like, they got one big fact very much wrong. That's right. Um, Western sources originally had claimed that the PRC was reacting to popularity alone. Uh, They argued that the Communist Party had 60 to 70 million members, but Falun Gong had 100 million. Uh, And this did not seem to be the case. Multiple scholars agreed that the Falun Gong only had about 2 to 10 million practitioners at that time. Also, why weren't other? Remember, this is all a product of a a larger movement, the Qigong movement. Why weren't other practitioners of of those uh, techniques banned? Right. There are, again, there are multiple, there are multiple groups that are, that are descended from this ancient tradition of mindfulness and exercise and meditation. And they seem to be just fine. Nothing wrong with those folks. Sadly, as any longtime listener of this show knows, it is the opposite of unusual for world governments to repress movements they see as dangerous to the status quo. At so many levels, there there there's an abundance, a plethora, using the word correctly, of ridiculous examples of this. But if you if you dive into this, if you, upon closer examination, we see that Falun Gong looks a lot different from the casual Qigong group or even like a CrossFit club. And while we were prepping for this, folks, it became increasingly difficult for us not to continually ask ourselves about CrossFit, which got out of hand for a second there. I think we can agree. CrossFit got a little out of hand. Yeah, oh, it did. And I, for one, promise that I will hunt down the CrossFit demons and aliens that exist in the originating book somewhere that I've just never seen or read. Yeah, I I, I did CrossFit for a little while years ago. I had like a a trainer situation. I can tell you from firsthand experience, the demons and aliens live in those T90X stretchy bands. That's where that's where that's where where that comes from. I'm a P90X guy. T90 P90, (laughs) Clamato Clamato. But it was they 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 do sneak the Christian stuff in very subtly. Hmm. You know, right when you're getting the most swole, and then all of a sudden they sort of whisper some scripture into your. Wait 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 wait. I maybe I just have no idea. Is CrossFit like a religious organization or arm? Kind of. Yeah. Wow. Maybe it depends on the trainer too. No, I've, I've always heard that CrossFit has sort of some kind of religious undertones. I, I was being completely, I was joking about hunting that down, but now I'm serious. <laughs> Maybe I'm overthinking it too. There are definitely Christian CrossFit uh uh, organizations and like here's an article here how turning crossfit into a religion made its atheist founder greg glassman rich oh interesting okay huh so crossfit itself is the religion not necessarily a front for religion yeah 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 so when we go back to qigong and uh, falun gong what we see is that it isn't the same in many 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 ways 
Uh, and this is something that practitioners of Falun Gong would agree with. There is a web of conspiracy here. It's tough to suss out the, the strings of truth, right, in this morass. Uh, there are allegations of everything from organ harvesting to cults to even front groups for intelligence agencies. So let's dive in. Deep breath. Here's where it gets crazy. <laughs> yeah, China's state-run media outlet Xinhua had a completely different take on why Falun Gong was being banned. They claimed that the West was attempting to make China look bad. They believed and argued accordingly that the Chinese government banned Falun Gong because Li had broken numerous laws, uh, was responsible for over a thousand deaths, mainly from essentially coercing members into committing suicide or by not seeking medical treatment, which is a part of this whole you know belief system that we'll get into, was threatening public safety. Um, and because members had infiltrated the Communist Party in order to overthrow the government. Uh, that's a lot. And it sounds, you know, like the kind of high level conspiracies that's like uh, we live for things like Operation Snow White uh, sounds a lot less like, you know, just doing uh, Tai Chi in the park on a Sunday afternoon. Right. Yeah. And, and anyone listening may remember Operation Snow White, wherein the Church of Scientology or members, a few members of the Church of Scientology attempted some infiltration. All right. So now. I can feel the shadow of our legal team. I know. Uh, oh, damn. So <laughs> let me, let, let, how did, it's very careful with the writing on that one. The official position of the Church of Scientology <laughs> is that Operation Snow White was not sanctioned by their organization as a way to massively infiltrate the IRS and then blackmail the government in a crazy financial scheme. Oh, good. So, Several people yeah. disagree with that official position, including the U.S. Supreme Court. <laughs> wow, that, man. Right? Like, that's what we could say. We said that earlier, right? There are people perfect. who disagree. Uh, so we have Mike Rinder on. I mean, our ship has sailed uh, in that regard. But but there is one thing, you know, that, you, that um, they said that's really interesting here, Noel. The idea of infiltration of the government. That was true. Yeah. The Chinese government was telling the truth about this one. Falun Gong was all up in the state's military and the security apparatus and the media educational establishments as much as possible. Uh, it's explicitly mentioned in one of Lee's books, Falun Gong. Uh, he talks about putting focus on getting support from state government leaders, like from these officials and interestingly enough, if you read the English and French translations of these books, those specific mentions have been cut from the text. See, oh. the past is changing. Uh, but in all fairness to Lee, in all fairness to the practitioners of Falun Gong, we have to point out seeking powerful friends is not the same thing as planning a coup. You want to get like a a member of the a high ranking member of the communist party on board with Falun Gong. Well then maybe first it's cause you think it's good for them, mm -hmm. you know, uh, on a, on a purely physical level. And then maybe secondly, you're like, Hey, this person could help us out with a jam, especially if we're being misrepresented. We have a, someone on our side who can say, here's the truth. And this is not propaganda. So it's not the same thing as a coup. I no, would say. 
It sounds a lot like the family to me. The another <laughs> episode we covered where evangelical Christianity was at least making those friends right in high places and uh, actively working to increase just uh, influence within those realms, not necessarily <laughs> causing a coup. Is that the episode where we got a little bit lost trying to figure out what the menu for the prayer breakfast was? Yeah. I was just thinking, I was like, well, I don't know, why am I thinking about eggs right now? That's right. There was that massive prayer breakfast that was such a, like an influencer kind of closed door situation that they essentially started, correct? Mm-hmm. It's always oh, yeah. pancakes, guys. Yeah. Uh, I just, I don't, like, all right. I, I, I feel like a pancake breakfast is a, something that's cooler as a phrase than an actual thing. Like, what, what makes it a pancake breakfast instead of just, a, like, pancakes and OJ? Is there I bacon? I could maybe eat two pancakes. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, and I need variety. I want, like, some sausage and some bacon. And I, I, I'm not a huge – pancakes feel so much like dessert to me. Look. Very heavy. You guys, when you're a tax-exempt organization, you got to keep costs super low and pancake batter, batter is the way to go. <laughs> True. It is the people's uh, the people's food. <laughs> I thought you were going to call it the people's cake. Pancakes. Also true. Also true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Pancake opinions aside, I just think, I don't know. Also, portions in the U.S. are so cartoonishly large if you go eat somewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. In two or three silver dollar pancakes. And I have some other stuff going on in the plate. Uh, but. This is not this is not something that Xinhua or the PRC was, I assume, talking about too much. Uh, they were they were concerned, you know, and they thought Western media was and Western governments were being complicit in supporting what they saw as an increasingly subversive and perhaps even separatist organization. Today, the members of Falun Gong. Or the practitioners of, I think, I think the members of the organization prefer the term practitioners. The practitioners are often overtly political and overtly anti-China. They want the demise, if not of the government of China, they want the demise of the Communist Party. And if we're being completely objective here, you can see a couple of different reasons for this. The Chinese government may argue that their political beliefs are the reason this movement was banned. But we also have to ask, if we're being fair, are the people who are being overtly political here, are they just reacting in an entirely reasonable way to some extreme state-level persecution? You know, is this an exercise group or a cult? That's a question that we're going to try to explore together after a word from our sponsor. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> 
I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then... You found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we're back. Okay, so before the break, we posed the question, what really is this? There's a lot of divisive talk surrounding the Falun Gong. So what is it? Is it, is it a kind of innocuous, mindfulness, meditative exercise group or some sort of uh, nefarious cult or perhaps something in between? Um, while the, uh, again, state-sponsored Chinese media calls Falun Gong a cult, Western media seemed very hesitant to do so. In fact, uh, really, like we talked about that 1999 time uh, interview, did give them a platform and treated them almost with uh, a lot of deference. And, and, and we got to ask ourselves why. Uh, some scholars argue that it was because of pressure from Falun Gong itself, perhaps that litigiousness we talked about. Um, still, there are some accounts and evidence showing recruitment tactics that could be described as pretty Sketchy, at the very least. Uh, Cult-like, at the most. Uh, as Heather Caven writes in Falun Gong and the Media, What Can We Believe? The exercises quickly begin to take a backseat to larger, ideologically uh, driven belief systems. Um, here's a quote. On newcomers' second or third visits, they are given scriptures showing Lee's rejection of those who simply do the exercise part and not you know, the, the other stuff, which we'll get into. Um, when six months into the field work, a member told me that Falun Gong was not about doing the exercises at all. And I was not surprised. Yeah. So, uh, Heather Kavan wrote this awesome, uh, paper where she did this ethnographic study, I believe in New Zealand. And she was 
she was meeting up with members of Falun Gong every day for a time and, and doing these exercises in the morning. Uh, and she got, they were very welcoming and she got an, an increasingly intimate perspective of the day-to-day actions of practitioners, as well as, you know, some of the larger things that they believed to be true. And this got into ideas of like having visions. Visions are very big in Falun Gong. Uh, having clairvoyance moments or moments of bilocation. Uh, and then also there were sketchy things where she would ask like, uh, she did this for pretty more than a year, I think. And there was somebody she was meeting every day and she said, hey, uh, what do I call that woman that I've been meeting with every day? And somebody just looked at her and was like, just call her the woman, <laughs> which is kind of a sketchy thing to say. I don't know. I don't know. I'm an outsider. But this told her that there was a um, maybe to your point, a bit of bait and switch kind of like you're come for the exercises, stay for the truth about the universe. And I'm not being dismissive. I mean, that's that's kind of the process. And those, for people who continue deeper into the belief system, ex-Falun Gong practitioners say that the, um, the beliefs and values are what might be called surprisingly conservative. The forbidding of interracial marriage, the condemnation of homosexuality, and uh, to our earlier point, discouraging the use of modern medicine. For their part, Falun Gong officially denies that this is true. So again, we're in a one side said this, one side said that situation. But if this is, if we were to define this as a cult, which Falun Gong emphatically says it is not, then we would naturally find ourselves with uh, a couple of questions off the bat. The first is this, this observation, cults need leaders. So people who are critics of this organization. Those who accuse Falun Gong of being a cult say they do have a leader, and that role is played by the founder, Li Hongxi. So weird thing about Li Hongxi is that we have conflicting stories about him, his life, his current beliefs, his aims for the organization or aims for the movement. And the even weirder thing about this is, to Matt's earlier point about an information war, uh, some of these reports are coming from people who would be totally happy if he never existed, a.k.a. the Chinese government. Some of these reports are coming from uh, his disciples. And mm-hmm. then some of his conflicting reports are coming straight from him at different times when he's talking to different people. Like I'm, he's, he's talking to a Western audience, right? He's saying, like, I'm not a god. Don't try to make me a god. And then he's talking to a domestic audience and he's saying, my true spiritual form is so huge that if I came down here, you know, in my true form, you would be sta- like standing trying to gaze up past my big toe. <laughs> it's so totally weird. a god, a.k.a. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. It, it, it's it's very weird. I mean, and, and he in the past, hasn't Lee said that he's like... Uh, Jesus or a savior or the person who is going to, yeah, save humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said that um, he's compared himself uh, at times in speeches to uh, the biblical Jesus Christ, where he said that, you know, lines like, uh, Christ has a 16-carat gold path. I have a 24 or 20-something carat gold path. Uh, and, you know, we have to admit, maybe we're ta- maybe we're losing some context in translation, but these like there's a repeated pattern of this stuff. Uh, he also says 
things will be familiar to people who have had experience with exclusionary organizations. It says that if you're um, a member of Falun Gong, you're superior to ordinary people. Uh-oh. And this might be familiar to longtime listeners. Also says you need to relinquish affection for kinsfolk, love between a man and a woman, and what? affection for parents, feelings, and friendship. You need to focus on the path. Uh, what was that guy we did an uh, episode on? Uh, Benito Masaro. Mas- oh, yeah. Wasn't he like in like Sedona or something like that? He was in somewhere, somewhere in like uh, New Mexico. Yeah. And he had this whole like kind of sweat lodge tech bro cult situation. Careful. What? Careful. Is this he guy, listening? Yeah. I, I still get his newsletters. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> he subscribed. Uh, <laughs> interesting well no you're right ben and 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 it, and it gets weirder like and, and he's he's he's, a, he's not shy about this and it's it's even a little inconsistent right like when he's gonna go big and talk about the big toe you know god situation or downplay it and say oh no no i'm just a but a humble meditation instructor uh i'm i'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit but uh in that time article he talks a lot about uh, being able to teach people to levitate off of the ground. Um, and then also he talks about how you shouldn't ever show this these abilities to outsiders. The Time reporter says in your book, uh, Zon Falun, you talk about people levitating off the ground, but you say that they should not show other people. Why is that? Uh, and he, Lee says, it is the same principle that Western gods in paradise should not be seen by ordinary mortals because they cannot understand its meaning. And then time uh, asks, have you seen human beings levitate off the ground? And he responds, I have known too many. Can you describe any that you have known? To which Lee responds, David Copperfield. He can levitate. And he did it during performances. Uh, not trying to rag on the guy too hard, but very mixed messages here. He's saying, you know, you, I can teach people to do it. Uh, it's something that's inherent in this belief system. Also, I, I don't like the idea of them showing anybody. But the one he cites is, is an American illusionist where everyone knows that he's not really levitating. It, very unusual. It may have just been a, a joke. In you know, some a form of a joke, who knows? Yeah, maybe. And then also, this is this is interesting because again, we go back to the question of not just context, but the question of motivation of the sources. Like the the thing about the, there's an interesting example. So we talked a, a little bit about um, how there might have been pressure from Falun Gong that influenced. Western media's portrayal of the group originally. Uh, it reminds me a lot of uh, Reverend Moon and the Washington Times uh, when when the Moonies owned that. Oh. Like there, there were clear conflicts of interest that would come up over time. Just like, obviously, Xinhua has com- conflicts of interest because it's state media, uh, just like multiple organizations do. It's more unusual to be like a ProPublica without as much of an editorial bias so we, I think we built an okay case to, to show that, first off, a lot of statements from this guy have been conflicting over time with earlier statements he's made or with statements he goes on to make afterwards. Secondly, uh, there are some claims he's made that seem pretty extraordinary and that don't seem all too out of the realm of cult leader. But we're, we're just we're telling you why some people have argued that. The other thing. That keeps So we're kind of ping-ponging back and forth across what's happening here. Here's another thing that's happening. 
Falun Gong practitioners have for years and years and years alleged that since, uh, gosh, more than two decades now, that since 1999, maybe even a little before, they were being persecuted and are being persecuted by the Chinese government. That is true. That's the thing. It's no one, they're not making that up. After the ban, tens of thousands of people were arrested. They were sent to labor camps without a trial. And uh, many of these people who have survived, who came out of these, said that they were tortured. Again, the numbers may be exaggerated. It's tough to get transparent numbers of incarceration from the Chinese government. And it's tough to really... um, and this is not a ding on them. It's it's tough to understand the credibility of numbers offered by an organization like this on its own membership rates, on on who have what happened to whom and when, uh, just because they might not. I'm not saying there's any necessarily any ulterior motive here. They may not have the capacity to to keep that kind of accounting, but the detainment was definitely real. Yeah, so in the Wall Street Journal, um, a journalist named Ian Johnson documented his investigation into the repression uh, that we're talking about in a uh, series that he wrote, uh, which he received a Pulitzer Prize for part of. Um, And there's definitely something strange going on. Xinhua, um, in pretty stark, if not very surprising, as we discussed, contrast, uh, depicted the prisoners as being happy, playing basketball. We've talked about this in the past episodes as well, eating uh, amazing you know, platters of food and all of that with local police stations acting as um, centers for them to receive counseling to help these poor, you know, uh, brainwashed souls essentially get an education and become, I guess, more acclimated or reintroduced into traditional civilized Chinese society um, in this, you know, really supported the narrative that the government was pushing of this being a dangerous separatist cult. However, practitioners of Falun Gong describe members being treated much, much differently, uh, describe them being hung by their ankles uh, upside down for long periods of time, hit with like cattle prod type implements or stun guns, uh, actually cut or pierced with bamboo sticks, beaten and raped and kept in tiny, tiny spaces where they can't even move for days at a time, um, prohibited from using the restroom facilities for long periods of time, uh, showing brutal imagery displayed throughout these facilities, things like police brutality, and often in, in some of these public demonstrations that they would do, they would reenact historical torture scenes uh, in alarming and, and disturbing ways. Theater is a weapon, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a real thing and it can be a powerful thing. There's an interesting and somewhat troubling interpretation of this persecution. This persecution is to a degree... Um, aspirational as much as i hate to say it within the movement there's this one speech where lee talks about stepping forward stepping forward is a a euphemism uh referring to a series of tests that practitioners must pass to gain entry into his version or his realization of heaven or paradise or enlightenment Uh, going up the ladder crossing the bridge Stepping forward. Okay. Do you want to get a seed? Uh, so, <laughs> some sense of reference. So, 
So yeah, that, that here's how he explained it. He said he had only planned enlightenment for a limited number of Falun Gong members, but with the increasing amount of practitioners, again, they might be inflating the numbers here, and with, of course, the eminent end of the world, he had to start weeding people out quick, fast, and in a hurry. And so he said that if you defend the Falun Gong to the point where you are imprisoned, you are detained, you are tortured, then your bad karma is burned off. And this assures you a space in paradise. Practitioners must not recant their faith, even if their retraction is insincere, even if, like we proved in earlier episodes on torture, you're just saying whatever you think people want to hear so that they'll stop pulling out your fingernails or shocking your testicles or what have you. Uh, he says, look, even if you fake recanting Falun Gong, you're a terrible person. And then he goes on. Think about this. He goes one step further and, and heavily implies that he purposefully orchestrated the torture that it was all under his control the whole time because he needed to expose these weak-willed folks. And he refers to these folks who recant under torture as, quote, malignant tumors. Wow. Uh, so the torture is real, but the interpretation of it and the degree to which it's real is still up for debate because there's just not a bi unbiased source here, really. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's tough, you know, like these are Wall Street Journal. These are top-notch journalists, and they're having – they're having a tough time get, cutting through the propaganda and cutting through the purposeful, uh, the, the purposely deceptive tactics of the government. And we have to go to one other thing, which is probably the thing people, uh, a lot of people in the West probably first heard of Falun Gong because of this. And we've covered it in um, both video and audio in the past. Organ harvesting. The quote-unquote red market. Yep. And this is, again, as you said, Ben, this is one of the things that brings a lot of people into the conversation because it's such a sensational concept that the Chinese government is somehow, or for some reason, harvesting organs directly from Falun Gong practitioners. Um, and this is this is something that is alleged. Um, and it's it's usually... It's usually organs being taken from detainees, people who are already detained by the government. At least that's what's said. In 2019, an expert panel of independent researchers said they heard clear evidence that organ harvesting had taken place over at least 20 years. Um, wow. Directly tied to 1999. Yep. When they were declared illegal, if you look at the timeline. Uh, questions about the bias of this. Tri tribunal, the China Tribunal. Uh, it was set up by a group called the International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China. So it definitely starts from assuming it's this is happening and they just want to prove it's there. Uh, this panel said it was beyond a doubt, uh, a fact that there had been forced organ harvesting, not just because of one like crooked doctor or one crooked warden, which this is very important. But they said it was happening on a systemic scale, state-supported. And here's the worst part. Beijing has repeatedly denied these accusations. They did not start with Falun Gong, to be very clear. As we talked about earlier, this is an ongoing thing. Uh, or this was an ongoing thing at the time. Uh, but I want to draw special attention to their reasoning here, their support of their, their claim that they didn't do this. 
they, you guys, they literally said, no, we don't forcibly take organs from people. That's a bunch of Western propaganda. You know, I mean, for Pete's sake, fellow humans, we stopped taking organs from executed prisoners way back in 2015. And that was like four years ago. Yeah. You guys are living in the past. That's so 2015. Come on. That's just like, okay, like imagine, uh, I'm not going to say somebody burned a barn, but, but imagine like I, I was standing right next to, just like the old Dre Eminem song, I'm standing right next to uh, a burning barn in this instance, and I've got a, I've got a handful of matches, a can full of gas. If people are like, hey, dude, dude, did you burn this barn? I'm like, what? That's crazy. I haven't <laughs> burned barns for fun since 2015. <laughs> you guys are wild, and that's unfair. Oh, but like, you man. see what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm, no, totally. I'm and, saying it's right to be suspicious. It is right to be suspicious. And, and it's also just something to point out here. We talked about the demonstrations that Falun Gong practitioners have done, showing the police brutality, the torture. One of the things that they harp on, or at least have in the past, is this bread market. And sh- like they will go through the motions of having a detainee, like not really, but having their organs ripped out in a very gory fashion in a demonstration in front of a, a building, a government building or something. And then this leads us to maybe one of the biggest things we, we need to note here. The information war that started in the 90s continues. It's been going on for decades. Uh, there's something we mentioned a little earlier. Uh, we've talked a lot about this off air <laughs> in preparation for this episode. In the U.S., there is this amazing traveling show called Shen Yun. Uh, we had talked, we talked about this, uh, I think last week or so, like we always wanted to go. I definitely always wanted to go, felt the tickets were a little pricey, uh, but it is in fact associated with and backed by Falun Gong. Visually, it's a stunning show. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing too, where it's like, I don't know where this budget is coming from, but the marketing blitz behind this show is out of control. A lot of it's just kind of like street team type situations where you'll see, you know, flyers for it at every restaurant and coffee shop and, you know, juice, juice bar in town, but they have billboards everywhere. And like in New York city, especially a friend of mine um, was saying how he uh, ended up in a cab or, or a lift or something that was driven by a very clearly uh, Falun Gong, uh, you know, kind of hardliner. Um, and there were even Shunyun uh, advertisements within the cab, and he had, like, stacks of Falun Gong pamphlets as well. It's almost like a modern-day Hare Krishna thing. Remember how you used to th- see the Hare Krishnas at the airport passing out their pamphlets and stuff? This is sort of like that to me. Oh, yeah, it makes itself known. So let's talk about exactly what we're seeing here in this beautifully chore- choreographed dance, uh, interpretive dance and cultural exchange at Shunyun. What what do you see? Yeah, so you see, it's it's heavily rooted in uh, traditional Chinese culture. So we'll see you'll see songs, you'll see intricate choreography and dance numbers. You'll also see a admittedly transparent narrative and overall message, which includes the reenactment of some of those uh, some of those uh, acts of persecution. Uh, also includes you know, a very pro Falun Gong, pro Shenyun message. Uh, and it talks about the evils of persecution. Like it's clearly, it's clearly a show with something to say beyond 
witness uh, this ancient tradition of Chinese dance. Yeah. Uh, and you can read a lot about Shen Yun. One thing you can you can hear about, at least, is the upstate New York training facility where Shen Yun, I guess, Falun Gong practitioners or just Shen Yun dancers and uh, performers go and learn. Uh, really interesting stuff. I, I mean, to me, it's it's like it has to have a massive base of operations, right? Because, I mean, it's got to be hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, individuals that are performing in these various iterations of the show, right? I mean, like, and, and like, so you're saying there's a training facility, almost like you'd think of for Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, it's, it is called the Fei Xian Academy, and it's in Middleton or Middletown, New York. And... Uh... You know, post-pandemic, if you depend on where you live, uh, it's pretty easy for you to see this show when it comes into town because it's, you know, uh, used to travel a lot before before COVID locked us down. One thing I noticed is it seemed like a Shin Yun show was always on the way yeah. or it just left. It's definitely a business. Oh, and just a quick shout out to The New Yorker and Gia Tolentino. I think that's her name. Uh, a 2019 article you can read called Stepping into the Uncanny, Unsettling World of Shen Yun. Just, it, it describes to you exactly what you see. And let's stick with the New York Times. Let's also stick with allegations of front companies uh, because Falun Gong has a success story that may be familiar to a lot of people in the U.S., though you may not know the full story. It's a bit conspiratorial. Great journalist over at New York Times named Kevin Rose uh, had, had wrote this piece on a newspaper called The Epoch Times, E-P-O-C-H. That sounds so familiar. Okay. All right. So – for years, the Epoch Times was a kind of small, low-budget newspaper that was against the government of China. And you would, if you're walking around uh, the corners of some New York neighborhoods, you would you would have this thing handed out for free to you. People like free stuff. It's a mm-hmm. smart strategy. But in around 2016, 2017 or so, the paper made a couple of changes that turned it into one of the country's most powerful digital platforms, most powerful digital publishers, I should say. They became a world-class source of right-wing information by betting the farm on Facebook. I don't know why I have so many farm analogies today, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, but so they – like when when um, Donald Trump came forward to – to become president, to become a presidential candidate, all this stuff, they got super on board and they embraced uh, the Trump presidency, most likely, if you had to guess, because of his strong anti-China stance at the time, more than anything else. It was just like an enemy of my enemy kind of thing, um, or I guess a cow of my pig of my chicken, whatever. Uh, so the the coverage that they had of U.S. politics beforehand it was very much like neutral also ran straight up reporting, right? Like this bill passes, this bill doesn't pass, this person is blah, blah, blah of New York. But then it became super partisan. And in 2020, this article was written in November 2020, uh, Rose reports that the Epic Times and its affiliates are a force in right-wing media with tens of millions of social media followers spread across dozens of pages, and they have an online audience that rivals the audiences of The Daily Caller and Breitbart. Uh, since 2017, they had been running some pretty interesting 
experiments. And you can also get a taste of the kind of stuff they cover. They cover real-world events. They cover um, international news, an anti-China slant. But then they also, you know, when they're on social media, which are very adept at, uh, according to Rose, they're posting stuff about like anti-vaccine screen screeds. Uh, where where did the coronavirus really come from? And why doesn't the PRC want you to know it was made to lab on purpose by them because they're evil? That's the whole headline. Uh, why is Bill Gates directing the pandemic? What's up with this Jewish mob that controls the world? Like that's Oof. the kind of stuff they're writing. And if you listen to those headlines and those topics, it sounds very similar to the stuff you've probably seen floating around on Facebook. And I think this is an important thing. It's it's a very strange turn of events. This is started as like a spiritual movement or an exercise group. How did it become a media powerhouse? How did it become, you know, associated with this with this traveling show that we want to see that that almost weaponizes theater? Uh what What's the true story of Li Hongxi? And at the very end of today's show, we have to advance the even crazier stuff. I'm sure I can't be the only person wondering, is Falun Gong an asset of a foreign intelligence agency? It's not out of the question. It's just, That's the thing. No hard proof of this has come to light. Please send us some if you have some. But of course, people are wondering, is the CIA involved? Uh, because this is this is like textbook CIA. You get a you get a dissident group that may be uh, disruptive to the status quo. And boom, you got some independent freedom fighters. You got a bunch of college students who just happened to to overthrow a government uh, because they believe in for, uh, in these very U.S. friendly ideals. Mm. And they just somehow got some guns like that's that's the thing. Uh that's why people are asking this. And Falun Gong has not done like some kind of armed attack on a Chinese building at this point. But but people are asking these questions primarily because the West has such a terrible track record and terrible precedent for interfering in affairs this way. And also, these are human beings. Falun Gong people are human beings. Um, I hope it's not a hot take that human beings shouldn't be tortured or kidnapped. Nope. That is a very cool take. <laughs> Right. Thanks, <laughs> Matt. Cool takes. Come, come for the hot ones. Stay for the cool ones. Stuff they want you to know. But there's one. There's another point. I think one of us mentioned this earlier. Is another big mystery. Where is all the money coming from? That's powering these initiatives. Is this really all coming from like subscriptions to things owned by the Epoch Media Group or Shen ticket Yun. sales from yeah. Shen Yun? I mean, I don't know. This is this is big. Um, we want to, we want to know what you guys think. Yeah. If you have any information on the tithing process or like donation process or membership that it, you know, whatever it takes to stay within the organization, if you have info on that, we'd love to hear it. Cause it's difficult to find anything transparent coming out of the organization or anything that you could believe coming out of an opposition writer. Um, so yeah, please write to us about that. Yeah. I just keep like, imagine. You're you're trying to decide if you should eat a sandwich. And there's one person left saying, this is the best sandwich ever. If you don't eat it, you're going to die. And then there's a person on the other side of the table saying, this is the worst. It doesn't even qualify as food. If you do eat it, you'll die in a slow, agonizing way in a Chinese prison. Like, this is very intense. And it's, it's tough to figure out the truth. But I think there's, I'm going to say, I think there's some sketchy stuff going on. No matter how you slice it, there's something there. There's something 
They don't want you to know. Uh, multiple instances of it. Uh, please let us know. If you have experience, please let us know uh, what you think the future of this organization or these kinds of organizations will be and what it can tell us about uh, the world today. We try to be easy to find on the internet. Yeah, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We are Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we're Conspiracy Stuff Show. If you do use Facebook, head on over to Here's Where It Gets Crazy. That is the page where you can hang out with all the other conspiracy realists who are listening right now who want to talk with you and comment and be nice. And they will be nice, and they'll be cool, or else our awesome mods will take care of them. You can also find us all over the internet in other places, uh, the usual Facebook spots where we're Conspiracy Stuff or Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. Uh, you can also give us a telephone call at one eight three three stdwytk Once you hear the sound of Ben's chime-like vocal intonations, leave a voicemail. Try to keep it three minutes. They cut off at three. Do us a solid. Don't, like, spam us with, like, three or six messages. Try to, like, you know, practice brevity. Get your story in in one. And you might hear yourself featured on one of our weekly listener mail episodes. But please do let us know if it's okay to use your voice, what you'd like us to call you, or if you'd prefer to remain anonymous. And feel free to give us a rating on your pod scraper of choice, should the spirit move you so. If none of that quite gives you the truth, compassion, and forbearance you are looking for, there's one other way to reach out to us. You can email us directly where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. 
The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.